from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. If you want to join our late-night national town hall, feel free to do so. You can be heard. The phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ. And there's a bunch of news coming out of Washington, right? We uh, always have some news that's coming out of there, and we're going to get to most of it. Um, But one of the things that, to me, um, is is the big story right now, at least uh, one of the major uh, announcements coming out of Washington is that COVID-19 is finally over. Uh, There's been an announcement by the Washingtonians that it has come to an end, right? The Senate has voted and the COVID-19 national emergency has ended, or at least they voted to end this emergency. And I think it's about time, right? It's about time that they've done something that that helps us. Now, I I don't know from... uh, my perspective, how things are any different right now. I mean, some of us have been permanently displaced from our, pre, our our place of employment. That may be an ongoing thing forever because many organizations had to figure out how they were going to do their business anew with respect to COVID-19. So I think a lot of those changes are here to stay. But outside of that, I don't think People are really doing the mask thing too much. I don't think there's a lot of restrictions in place. So it's great to see that COVID-19 is finally over. Uh, but there's other things, right? There's um, There's been a discussion over, over TikTok and the TikTok ban. And uh, we're going to get to that uh, a little bit later. We're going to talk about why TikTok is so addictive. And uh, and I, I don't think TikTok is good. I, I, I don't have it on my, when I say all the social media, all the social media except for TikTok. Now, you might see me on TikTok, people, radio stations, stuff like that. They've put, you know, videos of me on TikTok. But I don't have, there is no at Rich Valdez on TikTok that belongs to me. So rest assured, I've never liked TikTok because I've always known uh, the potential for for this particular app. And honestly, I learned it from Mark Zuckerberg and the others. And I saw, wow, if this is what American social media companies will do, just imagine what uh, a Chinese Communist Party being the major partner in one of these companies like ByteDance uh, could do. So uh, that's always been a concern for me. But we're going to talk about that a little bit more later, as well as um, some foreign affairs and what's going on with banks and uh, – and other topics as well, like media literacy. But I want to bring your attention to a clip of audio uh, from a couple of, uh, I think it was from yesterday, of another person in Washington, my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. That's right, Congresswoman AOC, all out crazy. She um, did a video and uh, she was talking about, you know, I guess this was a defense of, of, trans individuals, uh, LGBTQ, you know, you know, with respect to the, the conversation nationally. Uh, and there's a lot of focus on that now with the shooter of the, um, Col- not Colorado, excuse me, Nashville school, uh, being, a, a, a biological female identifying as, as a male, uh, this is, you know, of some degree of importance. 
And AOC, and she spent a little bit of time on this video, and there's things in the video that she says where I feel she's actually right. Like, there's a lot of things that, were, you know, there's accuracy in it. But there's also a lot of things that, like always, it leaves you kind of scratching your head and saying, hmm, what what is going on here? But anyway, she warns of what predatory cisgender and oftentimes straight men do when left in the presence of women and children. Listen to this. So we know how people in power and conservatives use culture wars in order to distract and diffuse us from challenging institutions of power, right? And I want to talk about how the attacks on trans and LGBT people factor into this. The first time I was ever hit on by a grown man, I was about 13 or 14 years old. I still had braces in my teeth. And if you ask a lot of women about the first time that they had encountered something like that, they will often say 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. When I was in my early 20s and I worked as a waitress um, on an outdoor cafe, there was a man that would park on the side of the street and we realized that he was pleasuring himself to the waitresses that were going back and forth on the sidewalk. I can't tell you how many stories I and almost every woman I know have about things like this. And when you actually look at who's committing this abuse, it's majority straight men. Many of these disgusting and insinuating attacks on trans and LGBT people are actually projections of what predatory cisgender and often straight men do when left alone in the presence of women or sometimes horribly children. So instead okay. of getting you to challenge the patriarchy, they're trying mm -hmm. to get you to challenge the very gender expressiveness that challenges patriarchy. Don't get it twisted because a lot of people attacking drag are projecting. Okay, <laughs> I had to let her get her final word in there. Now, I, I think this is, um, again, she, it, the entire first part where I believe, you know, she's obviously entitled to say what she wants, where she was first approached by, um, by you know, picked up by a guy when she was, I don't know, she's a 12, 11 or 12, 13 years old. Uh, I think those are a young woman's formative years and, and, and it's wrong. And I have daughters and I realize, you know, that's when you want to cover them up and hide them from the world the most, right, uh, as they begin to develop into adolescence. H however, that had um, nothing to do with the crazy that was stalking the waitresses or whatever, right? I, it's, it, it's just such a leap. She goes from one part of the story that, you know, makes sense. It's understandable. I realize, you know, it's uncomfortable and whatnot. And and then you jump to this other part where she's a waitress in her 20s. And she's saying that the other waitresses are being, uh, um, you know, molested, accosted, whatever and what have you, um, harassed by this person that's pleasuring himself. What does one have to do with the other? She's trying to make a case that somehow... What what uh, whatever ill happens to women and children is happening at the hands of straight men. I'm surprised she didn't throw in white. And I look at the whole thing and I think to myself, there's a problem in Washington when we have this type of person as as uh, the person that's leading the charge on the environment, the person that's leading the charge on what she called this gender expressiveness and saying that, you know, it is cisgender males that are projecting uh, in effect, what they would do when they're alone with women and children. I, I mean, I think it's it, this is not only bizarre, but incredibly offensive as a cis, I think I am a cisgender male, right? So I just, I, I can't help but think, I really believe that she believes what she's saying. She doesn't just say this for the sake of being provocative or to, to get more eyeballs or more clicks. I really do believe 
that she's uh, a little bit off her rocker and she believes this stuff. So we're going to try and make sense of of the crazy that's going on in Washington and uh, connect with Congressman Mike Lawler. He's scheduled to be with us pending. He's not running into a vote or something like that. He should be with us in the next segment. And we're going to talk about banks. We're going to talk about his work on the Foreign Affairs Committee and, of course, the blunders that come out of the Biden administration on a regular basis. So keep it locked right here. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. So as a woman of color with a six foot two black kid in college and a five foot seven, five foot eight black kid in high school, I don't see that part of American exceptionalism. I'm sorry. I think this country has a lot of problems that could be solved. Yes, maybe they're putting uh, Muslims in jail in Afghanistan, I think you mentioned, and China. They're putting a lot of more black people in jail. Okay, so that is Sonny Hostin on The View yesterday, suggesting that the Chinese internment of Muslims is not as bad as U.S. mass incarceration. And that's just one of the things that we hear coming out of the left, where another defense of China. Uh, China is is an egregious actor, and it seems that they get a pass in the American media. They get a pass in the American uh body politic that leans to the left, and they're not going to get a pass on this program, uh, and they shouldn't get a pass in Congress either. Our guest, Congressman Mike Lawler from New York, uh, is on the Financial Services Committee and the Foreign Affairs Committee, and he's here with us tonight. Congressman, welcome. Hey, Rich. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Thanks for joining us. So uh, what do you make of uh, of Sonny Huston's comments that um, we're, you know, it's not so bad to be a, a, a Uyghur? You know, it's really remarkable, uh, the view of the far left in this country, uh, that China is good, uh, communism and socialism, no problem, uh, America bad. And, you know, I mean, a hundred of my colleagues uh, a few weeks ago failed to denounce socialism, uh, a resolution uh, condemning the ills of socialism, and they refused to denounce it. Uh, 80, 86 of them uh, voted no. Uh, 14 of them couldn't even be bothered to find their way to the, the House floor to vote on it. Uh, and it speaks volumes to, uh, you know, their general view. Um, but the House Republican majority uh, has uh, put a number of bills forward, uh, this Congress, uh, and we are recognizing, uh, rightly so, uh, that China is our greatest uh, geopolitical threat. Uh, they are our greatest economic threat uh, and our greatest threat militarily. Uh, and so both on the House Financial Services Committee and the House Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, we are taking action uh, and really advancing a legislative agenda that seeks to ensure uh, our success economically, uh, politically, uh, militarily, uh, and does not allow the Chinese Communist Party and the uh, People's Republic of China uh, to advance their agenda forward. And, and it's really remarkable when you listen to, uh, you know, Sonny and, and others uh, who make these comments. Uh, you look at the NBA, for instance, and how they have 
you know, interacted with China over the years, refused to condemn them when players or coaches actually have had the temerity to condemn them. Uh, they're immediately forced to apologize, which is just pathetic. Um, and it, and it really speaks uh, volumes to the, uh, the views uh, of some in our country. You know, Congressman, I feel like uh, everything you said is, is spot on, but it, it just it, it, it blows me away how you have Democrats right now and Republicans. I think there seems to be some sort of uh, bipartisan support uh, uh, against TikTok and Biden has expressed concern for TikTok and then he shoots a TikTok video in the White House. And it just seems like uh, th- there seems to be some lip service to to, to TikTok and, and other things with China. But I don't know if there's a real um, resolute attitude towards getting rid of China or pushing China aside or at least treating them as a little bit more than an adversary. I'm looking at Foreign Affairs magazine uh, headlines less than a day old. Xi Jinping says he's preparing China for war. Uh, I don't know if that's war with Taiwan, war with the United States, war with the globe, uh, because, you know, he's named himself president for life. And, you know, you guys are taking steps in Congress, but help the listeners understand what some of those steps actually are. Well, you know, you mentioned TikTok, and and obviously there was a hearing uh, last week in the House uh, that uh, really put the CEO of TikTok on the hot seat. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was probably one of the worst performances uh, anyone has ever uh, seen uh, somebody uh, give uh, in, a, in a congressional hearing room. Uh, but, you know, then you have somebody like AOC who goes out and immediately records a TikTok video uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, and makes it seem like, oh, no problem here. Uh, but there's no question when you talk to, uh, you know, Defense Department officials, when you talk to uh, folks in the financial services industry, uh, the Chinese government and and what they are doing uh, through the use of technology uh, to undermine our country, to undermine our economy uh, is real. Just look at the the bank run with SVB. Uh, This was in part a bank run by Twitter. Uh, People, you know, commenting on social media uh, and creating a crisis. What would happen uh, if something similar through the use of TikTok? So we need to get serious about the fact that we have real foes in the world, uh, and China is one of them. And they are uh, colluding with Russia, with Iran, with North Korea. Uh, just today, uh, you saw the announcement between China and Brazil uh, mm-hmm. With respect to uh, you know using their own currencies, no longer using the dollar for trade, um, they are doing everything they can to undermine us. And and then you add to it, you know, the Chinese spy balloon that traversed the entire continental United States unimpeded uh, until it crossed uh, you know Myrtle Beach into the Atlantic Ocean. We need to get serious, and so we have passed legislation in the House uh, creating the Select Committee. Uh, to examine the competition between the Chinese Communist Party and the United States. Uh, this select committee is, is moving forward with uh, hearings and investigations. Uh, we have passed a number of bills, uh, including uh, you know, establishing that the PRC is not a developing country. Uh, it's why you've also heard uh, members uh, in, in both parties in uh, both houses uh, call on the World Bank no longer to give China loans. Uh, and, 
you know, really uh, moving forward with bills such as prohibiting, uh, you know, the PRC from purchasing uh, agricultural land in the United States, especially near sensitive uh, military bases. Um, and we've also uh, passed legislation to support Taiwan. Uh, you know, I think one of the things that I've talked about extensively with respect to the Russian invasion of Ukraine is that China is watching. And if Ukraine falls, uh, they will be emboldened to invade Taiwan uh, without it giving it a second thought. And that is something where it would be uh, catastrophic for us economically uh, when you look at things uh, you know, such as uh, chips uh, and semiconductors, and, and that would be uh, really problematic uh, for us. So we have to take this threat seriously. Uh, we're continuing both in House Financial Services and Foreign Affairs uh, to hold China accountable and really call on the Biden administration to get tougher. They need to grow a spine in dealing with China because so far uh, they've been very weak. Uh, and the fact that uh, President Xi and the, and the uh, CCP thought that they could fly a spy balloon over our country uh, without consequence uh, really speaks volumes to the weakness with which uh, this administration has been conducting itself. And let me remind everybody, we're on with uh, Congressman Mike Lawler from New York on the Financial Services Committee, as well as the Foreign Affairs Committee in the House of Representatives. And Congressman, we probably only have about 45 seconds before the break, and then we'll come back and pick up where we left off. But uh, I, I think that this um, announcement from, with China and Brazil today is, is a big deal, and it's very indicative of everything you just talked about. And we've been hearing about uh, replacing the dollar as the, um, the, the petrodollar as the reserve currency for, for these types of deals. And uh, I've, I've been hearing about it my entire life, honestly. And uh, this is the first time I think that we're seeing some, some ground gained on that conversation and that happening. So uh, I'd like your, um, your take uh, with, again, less than a minute, we'll pick up on the other side. Uh, but what type of impact do you think this is going to have moving forward? Well, obviously, in, in recent years, China has done everything they can to devalue the United States uh, currency and undermine uh, our competitive advantages around the world. And, and so this is uh, obviously the next step in that process. And we need to take it serious and we need to we need to fight back uh, economically against uh, the CCP and the PCR. All right. Folks, stick around. We're continuing with Congressman Mike Lawler here on America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. And again, the big headline that we were discussing right before the break is that Brazil and China struck a trade deal, an agreement to ditch the U.S. dollar in uh, energy trading. Uh, I am... I, I've got my interesting, um, unique uh, take on it. I think it sucks. <laughs> but Congressman Mike Lawler from New York is with us. He's on the House Foreign Affairs Committee as well as the Financial Services Committee. And Congressman, um, right before the break, you were finishing your thought on the impact. No no question. Obviously, uh, we're going to have to see over the, the coming days and weeks uh, the fallout from this. But uh, I think you know, really, we need to be uh, taking action uh, from an economic standpoint. And I think the Biden administration needs to be working closely with Congress uh, to pass legislation that starts to put pressure on uh, the Chinese government and President Xi. Uh, right now, you see what they are doing, uh, you know, having a Vladimir, uh, meeting with Vladimir Putin, uh, obviously, what they just did with respect to uh, Brazil, uh, but also questions about uh, support they have provided to Russia in Ukraine uh, and, uh, you know, their relationships in other parts of the world, including in our hemisphere. So we need to we need to get serious. We need to uh, make sure that we uh, as a country uh, are recognizing the, the economic threat. Uh, that China poses uh, and putting in place legislation. Yeah. And Congressman, I want to switch to uh, foreign affairs and I want to play a clip of audio of General Milley at a hearing today uh, discussing Iran and the production of a functional nuclear weapon uh, in, in as little as a couple of months. Listen to this. Cut one. And Iran has taken actions also to improve its capabilities to produce a nuclear weapon. From the time of an Iranian decision... Iran could produce enough fissile material for a nuclear weapon in less than two weeks, and it would only take several more months to produce an actual nuclear weapon. The United States remains committed as a matter of policy that Iran will not have a nuclear weapon. The United States military has developed multiple options for our national leadership to consider if or when Iran decides to develop a nuclear weapon. So that's General Milley. And, uh, you know, that was his testimony earlier today uh, saying that, you know, Iran is that much closer. And um, obviously th- there's a lot of people that have been, you know, clamoring, you know, we've got to stop Iran from getting to this point. And it seems like they're at this point. And in my opinion, it seems like they got there with the help of the Biden administration. Maybe I'm wrong. Congressman, your thoughts? You know, listen, Joe Biden uh, and the Obama administration, you know, put us on the path. Uh, with Iran and uh, the Iran nuclear deal. And obviously over the last uh, two years under Joe Biden's administration, uh, they were trying to revive it. And uh, their uh, inability uh, to hold bad actors accountable uh, and to aggressively take them on uh, through sanctions and other means, uh, you know, puts us in a precarious situation, and it puts our allies in a precarious situation. The fact that Iran, uh, you know, uh, used drone uh, drones the other day to, to commit airstrikes in Syria, uh, killing U.S. service members mm-hmm. and injuring them, uh, is a serious provocation. Uh, you know, you look uh, at what Russia did, uh, knocking one of our drones down uh, over international waters. 
You look at what China did uh, with the spy balloon. Uh, this administration and this president have been extremely weak uh, in fighting back against our enemies. And it shows. And they are taking advantage of it. And Iran needs to be held accountable. And anyone, any nation uh, that is aiding them or cooperating with them should be held accountable as well. Outstanding. And Congressman, I want to give you the final word on any of the committee work that you're doing, anything I might have uh, overlooked. I know we had a few things on our agenda, and I just uh, I wanted to zero in on as many of them as possible. No, I appreciate the opportunity to be on. Obviously, we had a hearing today uh, on the uh, banking collapse of SVB Bank and, and Signature Bank in New York. Uh, and had, uh, you know, uh, the FDIC, the Fed, and the Treasury uh, testifying before us. Uh, there are uh, significant questions as to, uh, you know, actions taken uh, by the Fed in particular uh, mm -hmm. in advance of the collapse of SVB uh, and, you know, what they knew when and why they didn't follow up on it. And those were some of the lines of questionings we were uh, pursuing today. I think overall, uh, you know, once the collapse occurred, I think uh, the three uh, agencies uh, moved swiftly to try and uh, contain uh, the contagion. But uh, we shouldn't have been here in the first place, especially uh, given uh, the, the rapid spike in interest rates. Uh, there was clearly a risk uh, with long-term treasuries. And uh, the Fed, especially the San Francisco Fed, uh, should have been uh, on top of this, and they weren't. And that is a problem, and it's something that, that we need to get to the bottom of. All right. And before you go, we've got a caller. Steve in Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA has a uh, question for you. Steve, very quickly. Let me ask it. Um, so, so, sir, uh, thank you for serving. Let me just say thank that. Thank you. Um, have you ever heard, um, I yield the, remaining, the remainder of my time? In Congress, I'm sure you have. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so the thing is that it's not very entertaining for uh, for us, the spectators. There aren't many sound clips that we can get, um, except when they do that. But the thing is, what we want to see as Americans is um, is the rebuttal. You know. Um, so I was wondering if you could if you could approach McCarthy with the Freedom Caucus. Just just grab one or two of the Freedom Caucus. I'm sure they'll agree this would be awesome. This will be awesome for the Republican Party. I want to see a one-minute rebuttal to call out the lies that were just said for five minutes during a diatribe by the other party, and they can do it to you, too. That's awesome, right? That's a good suggestion, Steve. Thank you very much. Congressman, go right ahead. No, absolutely. Look, during the, obviously, hearings, we go back and forth uh, between – uh, the, the respective parties. Uh, and certainly on the floor, uh, there are great opportunities uh, to speak. You can get five minutes, you can get one minute, uh, you can get uh, you know an allotment during a debate. So there is a lot of opportunity to rebut and, and refute what is said by uh, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle. Uh, I will say, having come from a state legislature, though, uh, it's not quite the same level of debate uh, in the state assembly in New York. I was able to ask my question, uh, my colleagues, a lot of direct questions and, and have a real exchange. Uh, I kind of wish uh, we would have that style of, of debate here in Washington. 
but frankly, a lot of it seems to be theatrics and, and for the camera uh, rather than substantive debate. And so uh, I certainly agree about the, the need to, to really engage in a substantive debate and uh, refute what is being said uh, oftentimes uh, really just for the cameras. And, and on that note, I will be reclaiming my time, Congressman. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, Rich. I, I appreciate it, brother. Uh, keep up all the great work on your committees and um, keep us up to speed on everything that's going on. Will do. Thanks. Take care. Godspeed. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America. Welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And again, if you want to join the conversation, late night national town hall here from one coast straight to the other, feel free to give us a call 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Now, we were just talking about um, how General Milley was on the hot seat today, but uh, Secretary Austin, former General Austin, uh, was also on the hot seat today with uh, Congressman Matt Gates. And uh, the topic was, why is the United States military funding drag queen story hours on military bases? Listen to this. How much taxpayer money should go to fund drag queen story hours on military bases? You know, drag, drag queen story hours is not something that uh, the department funds. Wait a second. That's actually not what the record seems to suggest. You were going to fund one at Ramstein Air Force Base. That one got canceled, but that's DOD insignia. That's a drag queen story hour for children. Then also at uh, Malstrom Air Force Base outside of Great Falls, Montana, you had a, a drag queen story hour for kids. At the Joint Base Langley Eustis, you put on a drag queen story hour on a Saturday for the first ever kid-friendly diversity, equity, inclusion summer festival. And at Nellis Air Force Base, you had the drag you Nellis on June 17th. Who funded these things, Mr. Secretary? Listen, uh, drag shows and, uh, are not something that the Department of Defense uh, supports or funds. So. Wait, why, why are they happening on military bases? I just, I just showed you the evidence. Why are they happening? I will say again. This is not something that we support or fund. Well, you, so you think hosting a drag queen story hour on a military base isn't supporting the drag queen story hour? I stand by what I just said. But, but you may stand by it, but it's belied by the evidence over and over again. I mean, are, 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 are you aware of the uh, piece? Uh, Biden's military, Air Force Base in Montana, holds drag show, drag queen story hour for kids in the Western Journal. Are you aware of that? Again, I will but, say what I've said yeah, before. You're saying what you're saying, but I guess it just doesn't comport with the facts. Okay. <laughs> I really enjoyed that exchange because, you know, obviously uh, Secretary Austin, it was either A, caught off guard, or B, annoyed with uh, Congressman Gates, uh, or C, both and, right? And I think that was the case. I think he didn't know this stuff was going on. He now needs to find out 
uh, if this was in fact funded through some sort of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. And by the way, I was thinking the other day, this is a quick ADD, ADHD moment. Um, it wouldn't it be funny if it was diversity, inclusion and equity? Because then it would be D-I-E, and that would just be really funny. Anyway, that was just something that went through my head the other day, these die initiatives. Anyway, I want to go back to the secretary now. So Secretary Austin, he's there, and he's um, he's thinking, you know, oh, my gosh, this guy is trying to embarrass me. I said it. I don't support it. We don't fund it. Now he's got to go back and hopefully save face, and, you know, he's going to have to ask somebody, chief of staff, somebody's going to say, hey, listen. We're not funding these things, right? Because I just told Congress that we didn't fund these things. So it's going to be curious to see how this goes and to see if this was uh, all volunteer. Did they just um, donate their time to these military bases or, or what? Because we found out uh, from uh, our friend Councilwoman Vicky Palladino that the ones that were happening in the schools in New York City, well, lo and behold, those were funded by tax dollars. Now, interestingly, they weren't funded by the school district. Per se, right? They were funded by city council offices. Isn't that interesting? But they were still taxpayer dollars. They were just coming from a different pot of money. And uh, that's when she decided uh, the, her initiative to say, you know, I don't think this is appropriate. We shouldn't be introducing, uh, you know, this over anything else to children. It's not even part of like, let's meet so-and-so from this walk of life, like a, uh, a cop or a firefighter or that type of thing. This was just that. Uh, and I think it was something like $800,000 over several years. It was interesting. We discussed it on the show. So uh, I just find that to be funny. And I'd love to see what the next step in, uh, in that conversation is going to be. Uh, or in that saga, I should say, with uh, Secretary Austin and Congressman Matt Gates, if he comes back on the stand, or if you know what 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 the next step will be. Austin strikes me as a guy who plays along, does what he's got to do, you know, a go along to get along kind of guy. But he has principles, and so I think you know when when he makes a principle statement like we don't fund it and we don't support that, and he repeats it and he repeats it and says you know we do not the department does not support that. I think he's being genuine when he says he doesn't support that. And uh, I'm, I'm curious to see, will he come under fire for saying he doesn't support drag queen story hours or that the United States military, the DOD, does not uh, support drag queen story hours? I don't know, but you let me know your calls and more straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, and I know you'll enjoy listening to him. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, and I'm at Rich Valdez with an S on all the social media. By the way, I just want to thank you guys because I've been getting a lot of great feedback from uh, from the audience and those of you who listen from um, many different stations. I do appreciate it when you let me know where you're listening from and when you're listening uh, that means a lot to me because I get to connect with you in a different way, uh, especially when we're off the air. Uh, so I try to do some of that social media stuff uh, when I'm not on the air. And we try to do it during the breaks as well. But big shout out to all of you listening. 
and everybody that's listening on richvaldezamericaatnight.com, which is a great website that we've got where you can hear old shows, you can hear previous guests, you can download the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, or hit the Listen Live button and listen live from absolutely anywhere. So that means you could send that to a friend of yours that wants to hear the program or who you'd like to listen to the program, and they could hear it from anywhere. Anyway, uh, I want to talk about inflation just for a second. And um, Governor Ron DeSantis had some interesting comments that I agree with on inflation. Listen to this. The Fed has done a horrible job, you know, over these last uh, last few years, and they really are creating uh, potential significant turmoil in the economy going forward. I mean, think about what they did for all of 2022. They were hiking rates, taking money out of the economy because there was too much money that had been printed. And so they're doing that, and that obviously causes problems because they didn't do it, uh, they didn't handle it appropriately. But then what have they done in like the last month? They're bailing out banks like Silicon Valley Bank. And so they took money out of the economy, and they've already printed more money just in the last week or in the last couple weeks. So all that they did for last year and all the problems that caused, uh, they've already erased half of the money that they took out by printing more money. And I can tell you, you know, the Silicon Valley Bank, these were people that were very connected to a lot of the policymakers in Washington. I can tell you if this was some bank in the Midwest that serviced farmers, they would never have bailed it out. Uh, That's just not what would have happened. And so they're creating, I think, a lot of perverse incentives. So that's uh, Governor DeSantis, and uh, I think he's he's accurate when he says the Fed has done a poor job. And, and moreover, you know, moving off of the Fed, I'd like to just reiterate my disdain for Biden and most of his administration because I think they've precipitated this, right, or uh, exacerbated it, to say the least. They made this a lot worse, and the reason they did was because of the spending that they thought was so necessary, and in my opinion, just wasn't that necessary, not uh, necessary to the point of causing inflation. Now, look, this inflation stuff, it's been hitting everybody, and there's one egg producer. We're going to get to that a little bit later. Uh, They had some – one egg producer had record profits. I'm wondering if that's the guy that was out there, you know, messing up the uh, the chickens for everybody else, but – Inflation is hitting everybody really hard. You've got the rising cost of eggs um, and and everything else. Uh, People are looking all over the place for the best deals on groceries, food, etc. And uh, even ice cream, unless you're Joe Biden and you have refrigerators of it all over the, the White House, you know, strategically placed. But there's a few money saving tactics that people are using across the country. And there's an organization called Crestline that did a survey of 2,300 Americans, and some of the things that they found were that Mississippi, Alabama, and Indiana practiced the most money-saving strategies. So those are the best savers in America. 47% are making trips to multiple grocery stores to grab items that are on sale at each grocery store. That's a good tip. 44% are signed up uh, for five or more loyalty reward programs. And 77% of Americans regularly shop in the clearance section. Now, again, these might be things that some people are now doing because of a recession. I can tell you, I've grown up and lived most of my life doing this stuff because I was a poor kid. (laughs) Poor kid from a poor family. And so, um, welcome to the party. 
Anyway, there's more to come straight ahead. We're going to get with America's psychiatrist, Dr. Carol Lieberman. She's up next. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And we are continuing our number two with um, some analysis and insight on everything that's going on in America at night. And uh, just a couple of quick headlines here. Uh, there is a, a lot of interesting testimony coming out of Washington. We're going to circle back with some of those clips uh, at the top of the next hour. Also wanted to let you know that uh, Brazil and China have reached an agreement to replace the United States dollar in a, in a trade agreement that they've made. And China has also completed the first liquefied natural gas trade uh, and are settling it in Yuan. Uh, that's another interesting tidbit that we're going to circle back on. And there's also a debate, right? There's the debate over what's going on with TikTok, right? Or with speech overall in the United States. And some are saying that this is the uh, Patriot Act on steroids as you've got some conservatives slamming this new bill uh, restricting uh, TikTok as, uh, as an attack on free speech while others are saying it's exactly what we need to do to take on China. And there is dissent in the ranks. And uh, it's an interesting conversation, but from a more uh, psychological perspective, there's the entire addiction that people go through with TikTok and, and the impact that it has on children. And I, I couldn't think of anybody better to discuss what's going on with TikTok than America's psychiatrist, Dr. Carol Lieberman. You know her. She's a, a medical doctor and she's got a master's in public health. She's world-renowned as the terrorist therapist, and uh, she's been on this program before. She's also the host of Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice of America. Dr. Carol, welcome back. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. You bet. So let's um, let's dig into this because um, the quote that I have is of you saying that this is TikTok is China's weapon of mass destruction. Let's uh, let's dig in. Go right ahead. Yes, absolutely. Um, it is the mass destruction of America in a kind of insidious way um, because it's destroying our younger generations. You know, it's not a bomb or um, a spy balloon, <laughs> but it well, actually I call it the spy balloon of the Internet. Um, <laughs> but <Right>. it is <laughs> it is insidiously destroying our children. Um, 
by in many different ways by dumbing them down, you know, by all the getting them addicted to it and all the hours that they spend on TikTok, and then more uh, directly by really promoting different kinds of psychological um, disorders, you know, getting anxiety, depression, um, getting them to do these challenges, which are very dangerous, uh, promoting suicide, promoting incels, um, you know, all of the different uh, kinds of content that children are bombarded with is really very dangerous for them. You know, it sounds like, from my perspective, that not just TikTok, but I think social media and what it's evolved to become is a Trojan horse for intellectual and moral rot here in our country. And and it's so sad that that's what's happening, because I think it was well-intentioned uh, originally, unless it was always intended to be a Trojan horse, where we go, wow, that's really nice. And then, you know, before yeah. you know it, you're losing generation upon generation of people. Uh, they're, you know, from a perspective of patriotism and, and just being decent people. Yes, I think that is a good way of characterizing it. Um, you know, of course, the other social media platforms have problems too. And of course, you know, all of them need to make people addicted uh, to stay on them because, you know, people think that, oh, isn't this cool? This is free. Look at all this free, cool stuff we get. But right. it isn't free. We are the products. We are being sold to the advertisers. And every minute that we spend on these um, social media platforms is money for the platform. You know, they make more money the more they can prove to their advertisers that they have this many people and they spend this much time. And, you know, we are it. <laughs> we are what is being sold. And people don't think of it that way. You're right. I think all too often people don't realize that if you're not paying for it, you're paying for it, right? You're, you're the product. That's exactly, exactly what's going on. You're being sold. You know, I watched um, the hearing last week uh, mm -hmm. with the CEO, Mr. Shu Chu, <laughs> and it was um, it was really nauseating. Literally, I felt nauseous watching him squirm, watching him lie, watching him. Uh, divert to the question, deflect the question, watching him say, um, oh, well, I'll get back to you on that, as if, you know, he didn't have any clue before the hearing that he might be asked these kinds of things. It was just so, you feel dirty after listening and watching yeah. it. Um, did you watch it too? I did. And what I, w what I found remarkable was he didn't come across as a CEO. He came across as a bureaucrat to me, and I worked in government, yeah. and his answers came across as, as like bureaucrat speak, and, and he was snide at certain points when they would try to ask a sharp question where he pointed. He would come back with something and kind of like trash America and say, hey, look, you got problems in your own backyard. Don't look at me. Mm -hmm. and, and it was just fascinating to me that this it didn't seem like a business owner or a CEO, rather. Yes, yes. Um, you know, and then they said something about like his boss. Uh, I guess the chairman of the board was sitting behind him. I think I think you could tell who that might be. So, you know, he was under a lot of pressure, but it's not like uh, and he wouldn't tell his salary. <laughs> that was kind of interesting. Um, and then when he was asked, do you let your children watch these things? And he, you know, sidestepped that by saying, well, my children live in Singapore and we don't have it there. And that's kind of the point. 
in China. <laughs> right. <laughs> they use TikTok in a much different way. It's educational. You know, it, they just send the, the garbage, the dangerous stuff to us. Yeah, that, that, that's a fascinating concept overall. And I think it, it's always existed outside of TikTok, with TikTok. Uh, even like Disney films, there's certain Disney films that they don't allow in China because of their strict rules on X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And and I think they do the same thing. It's just this is a more, I'm going to use the word pervasive uh, tool because it's so popular and it has this viral ability. But I want to circle back to something you said uh, before we, we pause for a second. And it was you, you, you mentioned several things that, that children suffer from, eating disorders, psychiatric disorders, uh, even kids uh, – committing suicide based off information and ideas that they're getting from TikTok. Elaborate on that mm -hmm. a little bit. Yes. Um, and that was one of the most touching moments of the hearing. There were parents who had lost a son to suicide because of what he had watched on TikTok. He stood in front of a train. And so, you know, but that is just one example. There are many um, children who have done done certain challenges that wound up killing them, like, you know, strangling themselves, going too far and strangling themselves, um, not realizing, you know, they're children. They, they don't realize how far you're supposed to go. Even adults actually um, sometimes die from that uh, asphyxiation, you know, to try to get a sexual high and all that. And, um, and you know, you can just fall down the rabbit hole of of these videos, you keep getting them, t coming barraged by them, coming towards you, you know, uh, one after the other, convincing you that suicide is the only way out, the best way, your life is never going to get any better, and so on and so forth. And then, you know, one of the new things, or at least maybe it's been more newly discovered, maybe it, I mean, um, that's about the incels. You know, we've, we know about incels recently. Oh, yeah. That's been in the news in regard to Brian Koberger. And now apparently um, TikTok has these different kinds of videos um, getting guys to be misogynistic. You know, incels, incels, there are chat rooms and so on. There are places on the Internet that, that have been around for a long time um, where incels can meet and egg each other on to be to uh, be violent towards women, rape women and so on. And now, I mean, it was kind of shocking to, to find out that that's on TikTok, too. Um, but, you know, there's no, no limit for what they'll put right. on. And it really is affecting kids in so many different ways. Also, one of the things, one of my pet peeves is that they have people on giving psychological advice who have either questionable credentials um, or no credentials. Or you know, they're just Right. They're just influencers telling kids what to do. Um, and, and But especially the ones who pretend to be more credentialed than they are. Um, and, and giving bad advice and, and just, uh, um, you know, kids are so hungry for advice that they'll pretty much yeah. take it from anybody. Dr. Carroll, I want to pause right there. We're going to hit a break real quick, come right back. And I want to get your take on, on, on how this type of thing may or may not have influenced, uh, the, the shooter or those that are potential would be shooters, um, when we come back, we're on with Dr. Carol Lieberman, America's psychiatrist. I'm Rich Valdez. It's America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, and our guest, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And uh, but before the break, I posed the question, you know, what effect TikTok and social media at large uh, might have on on those that are transitioning, those that are suffering from gender dysmorphia, those that uh, like this shooter uh, of this week's school shooting. Uh, I'm wondering what type of influence may have had uh, on a situation like that. And Dr. Carroll, I realize it's a lot of conjecture, but uh, you would know better than me. <laughs> well, you know, we don't know. I mean, she probably did spend some time on TikTok and other social media. We don't know, or I, I don't haven't heard those reports yet. Um, but yes, there's all kinds of confusing information on the various social media platforms and, and uh um, making you feel bad about yourself, you know, if you're a certain way or, um, so it's likely that, that she was influenced in some way and not in a good way. But what is so interesting about, um, the, uh, Memphis, um, shooting is that, um, you know, Nashville, when right? they, I mean, Nashville, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. Nashville. Um, when they first uh, talked, when this first hit the news, they talked about it being a teen girl. And of course, now we know that she's 28. Um, but, but, you know, it's no wonder she did look very, very young and, and uh, she looked like a boy really in the videos. But what's interesting is there's a certain profile for school shooters. And even though she's a girl or trans or, you know, we don't know the exact details of how far she has gone in that transition. But what's interesting is that she still ticks or checks a lot of the boxes of school shooters. And most school shooters, of course, are male. Only about 3% are uh, female. And um, so, for example, uh, the first kind of uh, part of the profile is that they come from a dysfunctional home where there is abuse and or neglect. Now, um, her home seems dysfunctional in the sense that uh, her parents didn't want to accept her being um, and having it being gay or having any kind of sexual, uh, not being, you know, what, what their religion would go along with. Um, and we know that, that she hid guns from them. She hid, she changed. They wouldn't let her wear boy clothing at home, so she would change when she left. I mean, you know, there's all this sort of distrust and denial on the part of the parents. Um, in school, uh, school shooters are usually either bullied or uh, isolated, and there are reports that she was isolated, and she was probably bullied, too. Um, one of the most interesting things, is she has uh, said that she used to binge on video games. And mm. violent video games, you know, all the school shooters have been obsessed with playing violent video games. And so it's so interesting that even she, though she's a girl, you know, or trans or whatever, um, that she too, you know, binged on these video games. And then if another part of the profile is that there is some kind of psychological problem. And so far we've heard that she is high-functioning autism. She has high-functioning autism and some kind of, quote, emotional problem, unquote, for which she's being treated by a doctor, 
We don't know if it's a family doctor or a psychiatrist or whatever, whoever it is. Well, let me ask you uh, this, that, Dr. Carroll, being a doctor, um, when you have, and again, it's, it sounds incredibly vague, but how do you treat emotional problems with medication? You don't just treat it with medication. Whatever the emotional problem is, and yes, they've been kind of calling it just a generic emotional problem, but whatever it is, you do not just treat it with medication. You may not treat it with medication at all, depending upon what it is. Mm. Um, that is the problem in our society. It's a much bigger problem than, um, you know, th- than this one person. This is, this is a huge problem all over the country that psychiatrists have turned into pill pushers rather than people who do therapy, psychotherapy with patients with all different kinds of problems, for all different kinds of problems. And then some problems um, do require medication or are helped by medication, but it's just the symptoms that are being helped really temporarily or, or well, there are some things where you need medication uh, for the rest of your life, like schizophrenia or bipolar. But right. even with those disorders, um, you also you still need that talk therapy. therapy. Yes. So, um, so, you know, the school shooters and so many other kinds of people are just psychiatrists these days are just uh, seeing people for these brief med visits and giving them prescriptions. And then they come back in a month or two months or three months and, um, they say that they're not better. And so what does the psychiatrist do? <laughs> he gives them, he or she gives them um, another prescription, adds a prescription. And that's why we have people on um, such polypharmacy, these cocktails, medication cocktails, mm-hmm. um, you know, walking around on five different medications. And of course, each of them can have side effects, especially when you mix them all together. And they're not really any better. And this is a crisis in our country. Yeah, 100%. And just on a personal note, years ago, I was like, man, I'm very distracted. I went to the doctor. Uh, I got diagnosed with ADHD in my 30s. And I said, man, that makes a ton of sense. And they gave me like a million different uh, stimulants, and I couldn't tolerate them. So they gave me a non-stimulant, and it actually worked, and I was very focused, and I didn't shake my leg, and I was super zeroed in. And I thought, this is cool being normal. It was like the first time in my life I'd ever mm-hmm. been that normal. And it didn't last. And I went back and I mm-hmm. told the doctor, it didn't work, doesn't work. He said, I'll take more. And he tripled the dosage. Yeah. And then and then, and then he said, let me check your blood pressure. And he, he said, oh, it's a little high. I'll give you a pill for the blood pressure. I was like, hold on a second. Oh, <laughs> so wow. I'm taking three of these. I'm taking blood pre- pressure medicine just, just to take that pill. I was like, it wasn't that bad. I'll just stick with, you know, cutting people off and changing the topic quickly. And I'll learn how to cope. <laughs> and, and I have, you know, it's a fascinating thing. Anyway, Dr. Carol Lieberman, a pleasure. The music means they're kicking both of us out of here. But I can't wait to have you back because you're such a wealth of information. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. All right. Folks, check her out at, at uh, terroristtherapist.com, America psychiatrist, Dr. Carol Lieberman. More to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez. Welcome back. 
Uh, Rich Valdez, here we are. We are continuing our discussions on on uh, the media, right? Because we were just talking about TikTok specifically, uh, but there's plenty to discuss with respect to the media. And there's a, a piece in uh, not Real Clear Politics, Real Clear Investigations, and it's titled The Problematic Rise of Media Literacy Education. Now, this is something where I don't think it's problematic per se to have media literacy education. It becomes problematic when they tell you what to believe, right? And, and uh, of course, this is how um, disinformation starts. So to break it all down, we've got Ben Weingarten, editor-at-large at Real Clear Investigations. Ben, welcome. Rich, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. You bet. Thanks for braving uh, the, the hour and staying up to be with us. So let's talk about your piece uh, because I think it's uh, it's an important topic, uh, but at the same time, I think one that requires a little explanation because obviously I think we want people to be media literate, uh, but we just don't want people to be led through the nose. Yeah, so media literacy education is something that is increasingly being pushed in states across the country, usually under banner of the idea that there needs to be an emphasis on civics education in an age of fake news. Now, that fake news gloss obviously has a little bit of a political connotation to it, but the way it's Mm -hmm. presented is, look, we want to help kids when they grapple with information from various sources, both be able to separate facts from fiction and then evaluate, assess the credibility of the sources that they're going to. That's how it's presented. But media literacy education is frequently framed as about combating harmful mis-, dis-, and malinformation in defense of our democracy. And that's the rhetoric that came out when New Jersey specifically passed probably the most expansive media literacy education bill to come out thus far, and Governor Murphy, in signing that bill, framed it in terms of effectively combating the next January 6th. And so that should immediately trigger, you know, an antenna of, are we really talking about helping kids separate fact from fiction and critically scrutinize information that they grapple with from the media? Or is it about pushing them in a particular direction? Is it about weaponizing this discipline in a bid to push kids towards the favored narratives, the favored sources, the favored information of, in effect, our ruling regime via the public schools. Yeah, and and I just want to make two points here. Uh, The first of which is I'm looking at the piece on realclearinvestigations.com. You should check it out. Uh, Excellent piece by Ben Weingarten. Uh, But there's a picture of Governor Murphy, and he doesn't have his usual haircut. He seems like he's letting his hair grow out. What do you know about this? (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. You know, that's the most most baffling uh, thread, I guess, that I had to pursue in connection with the story. Um, yeah, it's but, just but, I've never seen him with so much hair. Uh, he usually wears his hair just slightly longer than I wear mine. And uh, it's interesting. And that was just a, a, a one off statement. But the the other statement is you're right. Right. So now they're they're trying to drill down on on this 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 notion that we have to teach people how to think and how to be critical thinkers. Uh, but at the same time that they're trying to teach this critical thinking, they're almost assuming that what some people say is fake news is not fake news and what some people say is real is is 
is not. And it seems like we're at a in a, in a battle of uh, a battle for the truth in a time of relativism. Yeah, that's a really good way of framing it. And of course, they would say, "Well, it's my truth that ought to prevail." And the context for this is really critical in my view. We are in a time where there's been a moral panic that's been blown over so-called mis, dis, and malinformation, where our authorities, as we've discussed previously, essentially say that if you hold the wrong views, views that challenge the official narrative on a whole slew of important topics from election integrity to critical race theory to Chinese coronavirus, every aspect essentially around it, then you may pose a threat to national security. And consequently, there needs to be, quote unquote, content moderation on social media and even worse, potentially in civil society, whether it's debanking, deplatforming or even pursuit by the authorities, by the Department of Justice targeting concerned parents as if they are domestic terrorists. So that is the critical context, I think, that is the backdrop for these media literacy education skills that frame themselves in terms of defending democracy and combating harmful misdisinformation, which, by the way, has been blown up into such proportions when Trump-Russia collusion was presented as the truth, and that turned out to be essentially an information operation, and Hunter Biden's laptop contents were framed as dangerous Russian disinformation. And of course, it turned out to be true. So all of that context is usually essential. And that's before you drill down to the politicians and their rhetoric who are backing these bills. Of course, the teachers unions and the librarian associations who are promoting them within the classroom. And then the activist groups who are actually behind media literacy education itself. And I pull back all the layers of those onions in this investigation at Real Clear. All right, folks, we're on with the editor-at-large of Real Clear Investigations, Benjamin Weingarten. You got to read Ben's piece. Uh, it's it's really informative. And uh, this is a topic that has to continue to, to stay at the forefront of all of our minds because this is how they're going to get our kids, right? If they convince our kids to think that, you know, the things your parents believe are just, you know, they're not. They're not true. They're not real. That's old school. Um, we're already losing the battle there. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. We're going to continue our, our discussion with Ben Weingarten, uh, in particular on the, another piece he's got, the disinformation industrial complex versus domestic terror. So we're going to go down that road as well. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, so Phil Murphy's growing out his hair. I don't know why. I'm wondering, is he making a bid for something, some other higher office? Who knows? But we're going to continue our conversation with Benjamin Weingarten. 
um, the editor at large at Real Clear Investigations, RealClearInvestigations.com. You got to check out his piece. And we got a piece here the disinformation industrial complex versus domestic terror. Ben Weingarten, tell us all about it. Well, appreciate that. And, you know, you threw me for a loop with Governor Murphy's hair. So I had some time to think about it during the commercial break. <laughs> and I'm not sure if this was a, you know, I feel your pain, COVIDian, <laughs> hippie, uh, Governor Murphy look, or if this was more, uh, yeah, as you said, seeking a higher office, which, by the way, some in the state do believe that a bill like this is something that he will tout in connection with that, because New Jersey's bill is the first in the nation to mandate instruction in media literacy education for K through 12 students. Uh, yeah. Setting that aside for a moment, yeah, so the link between media literacy education and the national security apparatus is where this starts to become a lot more eerie and dark. And I'm sure you certainly and your listeners, many of them will remember that New Jersey itself put forth this portal via its Homeland Security, State Homeland Security Agency, where they allowed people, encouraged people to actually submit myth and disinformation when they saw it. And obviously, you know, this raised concerns about how Orwellian this kind of process could be, but it falls directly under this view that myth, dis, and malinformation is a threat to the homeland, therefore it needs to be combated. And that combating requires, of course, quote-unquote content moderation, i.e. censorship of ideas deemed to be dangerous by the authorities. And media literacy education actually itself has been elevated, codified in the Biden administration's national strategy for countering domestic terrorism, which is arguably the most disturbing from the perspective of civil liberties documents that the administration may have put out, but many people are not aware of it. That document essentially calls for a whole-of-society war on wrong think, and it talks about the fact that one of the key efforts that ought to be undertaken it concerns confronting the long-term contributors to domestic terrorism in this country. And you'll find that among them are harmful misinformation and disinformation that, as the document puts it, undermines faith in our institutions, as if the institutions haven't undermined our faith enough. So they actually make it a national security imperative to combat that information environment. Those are the terms that they use. And we know that they have done so via the Twitter files, via the Missouri v. Biden case that's currently ongoing, and a whole slew of other revelations. So the fact that the administration itself has endorsed media literacy education in a national security context, that the likes of the State Department has sought to fund, quote-unquote, media literacy education, and there have actually been a couple bills introduced to provide federal funding granted down to the states to encourage such education framed in terms of combating Russian interference and the like makes this part and parcel, I think, of a much broader disinformation industrial complex that we are all laboring under right now. This is fascinating to me, and I love the way you've positioned it because uh, I think it's a great um, it's a great descriptor, uh, the disinformation industrial complex versus domestic terror. Uh, I'm going to opt to be domestic terror here because <laughs> <clears throat> clearly that's what the parents and the school boards are all labeled as domestic terrorists. However, 
Uh, give us a, a, a good overview um, of how you're describing the disinformation industrial complex. Yeah, so the, the way I would describe it is this. You have the national security agencies as well as the public health establishment, plus the big tech companies, plus so-called fact-checkers, research-slash-academic organizations, and then these other organizations like a NewsGuard or Global Disinformation Index, oftentimes funded by federal authorities and certainly staffed with ex-members of the national security apparatus frequently, who have conspired essentially, in my view, to violate the First Amendment in targeting what they claim to be harmful mis dis and malinformation. And this kind of flows from the the university view of speech, that speech that runs afoul of the progressive party line is harmful, is dangerous. And so that merits taking away one's speech. And basically, it, it boils down to this. The use of the narrative that Russians interfered in the 2016 election and that there was Trump-Russia collusion was exploited to make the case that we really need to have content moderation and all of these institutions across society need to be hardened against such dangerous mis dis and malinformation. However, the national security apparatus did a switcheroo and they went from foreign interference to, well, if domestic actors happen to ape the same rhetoric or promote the same viewpoint as foreign actors did, well, then you know what? We can pursue that wrong think as well. So there was this shift from the foreign to the domestic. And on top of that, there was an argument made within DHS, an agency there, SISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure and Security Agency, which was responsible for coordinating a lot of the censorship around the 2020 election, where they said, look, our mandate requires protecting all infrastructure. That includes election infrastructure. If you spew, if you peddle wrong think about elections or have questions about fraud or other issues with mass mail-in ballots and the like, that constitutes a threat to election infrastructure. Consequently, to defend it, we can censor and deplatform you. And so there's this whole mass censorship regime, in effect, that's been imposed on us all under the guise of keeping us safe from ourselves, and under the guise of national security, and then as well, of course, public health. And it gets to your point about that's, this is why parents now are treated as domestic terrorists. And as we know, based upon the weaponization subcommittee under the House Judiciary Committee, domestic counterterrorism resources really were put on parents. Parents were sick, had the FBI sicked on them and had to deal with that living hell, even though Attorney General Merrick Garland denied it. Unbelievable. Uh, and I'm so glad you pointed that out because that is a, a very real thing that's actually happening. And, and it, it's shocking, to say the least. I want to get your take on the, uh, the current debate on TikTok, whether it should be banned or not banned as soon as we come back. Folks, if you want to join the conversation, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Open Phone America is coming up at the top of the next hour. Uh, you can start getting your calls in now with our guest, Benjamin Weingarten. He is the managing editor at Real Clear Investigations. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
Inquired America. Welcome back. We're on with Benjamin Weingarten, managing editor at Real Clear Investigations. And uh, I have a question for you, Ben Weingarten. There's a debate, right? You've got some in Congress that are saying, look, China has banned TikTok. So we should ban TikTok. And then you have others saying, look, China has banned TikTok. Don't be like China. Don't ban TikTok. Where do you land on this? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so as a general matter, the biggest concern that I have with the the most popularly covered piece of legislation on this, this so-called Restrict Act, is that right. it's not at all narrowly tailored. And consequently, I think it's a Trojan horse for doing that exact switcheroo that I just talked about, which is let's take the we want to combat foreign adversaries and then actually turn that around and use it against domestic adversaries as the ruling class sees them. And that's certainly what's happened when we had obviously started with positive intentions, the global war on terror, and now the tools of the global war on terror, you know, whether it's the more extensive use of FISA or the NSA's mass data collecting powers, unmasking, et cetera. We've seen how these authorities can easily be abused and turn on the American people so that we have we go from a global war on terror, which should have been called a global war on jihadists, because that's who the enemy was, to a domestic war on wrong thinkers, on whoever is deemed to be a dissenter and harmful because they take a position that's politically antithetical to the position of those in power and then use all of these massive invasive powers against us. So from my perspective, absolutely, I'd love to see TikTok banned, and I'd love to see a massive effort to go about drastically curtailing Chinese influence, Chinese Communist Party influence over every single strategically significant area of our society. And of course, that includes any sort of platform where they can be harvesting masses of information on the Americans, manipulating Americans. And of course, this is all setting aside you know, the addictive nature of social media, which is detrimental, obviously, to begin with when it comes to all of our minds and particularly the development of the right. minds of kids. But my concern is, is this bill the right vehicle to do it? Is it narrowly tailored and is it actually focusing on the key adversaries? So certainly ban TikTok, ban a whole slew of other Chinese companies or Chinese linked companies in a whole slew of strategically significant sectors. By the way, I would kick all CCP-linked companies out of our exchanges, out of our capital markets, because they don't deserve our dollars either. And why would you fund entities that essentially are the great assets of our worst adversary? But I just don't trust this bill as a vehicle to do it because it's not narrowly tailored nearly enough. All right, folks. Ben Weingarten, managing editor at Real Clear Investigations, realclearinvestigations.com. Check out the website. Check out his piece. Ben, thank you for being with us and breaking it down. I'm looking forward to our next talk. Thanks so much for having me, Rich. Really you got it. All right, folks. Open Phone America is coming right up. Don't go anywhere. It starts now. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez 
America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, and welcome to the program. This is America's late-night town hall forum. We're live, we're national, and this is where you get to be heard. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. If you want to chime in online, feel free to do so. The... Um, handle for my social media is at Rich Valdez, and that is Valdez with an S at the end, so you can find me. Now, I want to talk about a bunch of things tonight. We have a bunch of great stories uh, that we're going to discuss and, of course, get your opinions on. But the 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 crux of it, <laughs> right, the, the, the main thing was the big story today that the Senate voted to end the COVID-19 emergency. That is official now. And uh, I find that interesting because, you know, I think so many of us thought that this was already dead uh, a while back, but it's officially um, dead and buried as for today. Speaking of dead and buried, uh, they're calling for a moratorium. Some tech experts, including Elon Musk, are calling for a pause on the development of artificial intelligence. And I want to do a whole thing on artificial intelligence because it's given rise to something called deep fakes. And I'm going to probably get to that tomorrow uh, because um, there's a, a really good deep fake video that I want you to hear that I just think is it's just fascinating to me how, how well they can do this stuff. And you could think it's really coming from somebody when it's not. And if you play it to a small enough audience, it can you can get people to believe what you want them to believe because they can actually say, hey, look, I saw that. You know, I remember years ago when you just had to take snippets of Trump saying you've got good people on both sides, not necessarily referring to neo-Nazis, but making it look like he was. And um, and I think this is a, a, a new feather in the cap of the propagandist where they don't even have to twist one's words anymore. They can go ahead and just go all in. Now, speaking of going all in, uh, the other day I had a clip of audio I wanted to play, and I held off because I wanted to have enough time to go through it. And I do want to go through that with you now. Jane Fonda, uh, who you know has been a big left-wing activist over the years, uh, she was on our favorite program in daytime TV, The View. And I should say least favorite, right? And uh, she she made some comments that, they, they, you know, they kind of fell by the wayside, but they were so telling and, and they, they clarified and they were like, well, what do you, what do you really mean? And she was like, well, I mean, uh, and then she goes ahead and says what she's thinking, uh, really out loud. Listen to this. We have experienced many decades now of having agency over our body, of being able to determine when and how many children to have. We know what that feels like. We know what that's done for our lives. We're not going back. I don't care what the laws are. We're not going back. Rise up. That's the activist. That's Jane speaking. Yeah. And, 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 and she probably will get a Nobel Prize. But it's very, the truth. Very, very soon. It, it is the truth. But but I, we're not going to do it. Besides, I, besides marching and, and protesting, what else do you suggest? Mm -hmm. well, well, it doesn't happen murder. overnight. It's not a miraculous. <laughs> what did you say? Murder. <laughs> She's kidding. Wait a second. She's just now, kidding. Don't say that. That's oh, not... you don't know. They'll pick up on that and yeah, just run with it. Yeah, that's the worst. She's Joking. just kidding. It's... Well, let me talk to you about... <laughs> 
Okay, so they try to cover it up, and it's she's just kidding, but she says murder. She says we should murder these people that we disagree with. Now, this is the same woman that posed with soldiers in the Viet Cong, became famously known as Hanoi Jane. This is, uh, they say, oh, that's the activist in her. No, that's the communist in her. But good old Hanoi Jane, the communist, is not the only one that wants to murder people they disagree with. Wayne State University English professor just got suspended a couple of days ago. Why? A couple of days ago, yeah, being two days, a day and a half ago. Because, and he's been referred to the police, by the way, after saying that students uh, who abused this um, conservative judge should have killed the judge instead of just heckling the judge. Listen to this. So this English professor at Wayne State University was suspended with pay for threatening uh, on a social media post. The post appeared to advocate for the killing uh, of those with differing political opinions. It appeared to refer to a recent incident at uh, Stanford Law School during which a conservative judge was shouted down mercilessly during a scheduled speech. Isn't that something? Wayne State University suspended the professor and referred him to the police for saying Stanford students who abused the conservative judge should have killed him instead of just heckling him. The professor's believed to be Stephen Shaviro, a self-styled philosopher and teacher of English at the university, who wrote that Stanford students would be justified in killing this conservative judge, whose appearance on campus was recently protested. University President Roy Wilson announced the suspension Monday morning, which uh, where he said that the school had become aware of the post. Isn't that something? I mean, this is this is where we are uh, nowadays. If we don't like you, we kill you. Now, of course, they, they want to say that conservatives are fascists, Republicans are fascists, but I can tell you this guy is the furthest from a conservative, the furthest from a, a, a Republican, right? This is, uh, uh, I would bet, an anti-loving, um, progressive, communist-leaning type. I could just imagine. I know the type well. These are the people that read A People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn and think, oh, this is just unbiased history. No, it's not unbiased history. And if you think so, then I I really can't help you. There's really zero I could do at that point. But yeah, this is um, what this professor had to say. And and it leads me to believe that we're, we're in bad shape if this is what academia is doing, if that's what entertainment is doing. And we just heard from Ben Weingarten in the previous hour that this is what our government is doing to get rid of all the people that subscribe to what he called wrong think. Not just group think, but wrong think. If you're not thinking what they think you should think, then you're thinking misinformation, malinformation, disinformation. And you're involved in that because it can't be the truth because the truth is policed by those who are in control, not by what is actually accurate and correct. Fascinating to me. I mean, this is really a fascinating concept. So I'd like to get your thoughts on that as well as uh, anything else that we've talked about tonight because there's been a lot on our agenda. And as always, if you missed any portion of any of our interviews uh, during the interview portion of the show, make sure you check it out. Go to com. You could listen to whatever interviews you like. 
as well as subscribing to the podcast so you can get notifications and listen absolutely anytime on demand. And of course, you could always hit the listen live button and listen live and share it with your friends. So go ahead, check that out. Rich Valdez, America at Night. And give us a call, 833-482-5337. I see there is a number of people on hold. I'm going to get to your calls momentarily. So don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. So there's a couple of stories that I'm looking at here, and they're fascinating to me. Uh, one of which is, I mean, you just got to hear these headlines, right? Listen to this headline right here. Burrito snares suspected bomber of anti-abortion group. How about that? So the DNA from a partially eaten burrito linked the suspect to the Mother's Day firebombing of an anti-abortion group in Wisconsin, or better said, a pro-life pregnancy center in Wisconsin, according to investigators. Uh, here's the name, Herindu Sankar Roy Chowdhury, 29 years old, was held Tuesday for allegedly using the incendiary device on May 8th of 2022. No one from the group was in the office in the state capital of Madison, Wisconsin at the time of the attack, and no injuries were reported. Police say that a Molotov cocktail started the fire at the Wisconsin Family Action Building. Uh, Mr. Roy Chowdhury was arrested at Boston's airport on Tuesday before boarding a one-way flight to Guatemala, Guatemala City. So isn't that interesting, a one-way flight? He was not planning on coming back. Hmm. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Madison uh, reported that yesterday as well. <clears throat> so he's been charged with attempting to cause damage by means of fire or an explosive uh, device, which is a felony if convicted. He faces up to 20 years in prison. It's about time we start putting people in prison for this and stop saying that it's their right to bomb these buildings and it's those damn pro-lifers for how dare they have a building. Someone uh, spray-painted outside of the building during last year's attack at Wisconsin Family Action saying if abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either. Unbelievable. Although DNA was recovered from a mason jar at the scene, authorities spent nearly a year searching for the person they say committed the crime. They had very few leads until earlier this month. That's when law enforcement officers who identified Mr. Roy Chowdhury as a potential suspect, they said the leads led them to a car that was parked where he discarded a fast food bag while they were following him. Law enforcement retrieved the bag from the trash. The contents of the bag included a quarter portion of a partially eaten burrito wrapped in a wax paper, according to the court documents. Isn't that something? So officials sent the burrito and the contents of the bag to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms for testing. The results from the ATF lab indicate the DNA collected from the contents of the brown bag is a match to the DNA of Jane, uh, excuse me, John Doe, male number one, that was recovered from evidence at the arson scene. Mr. Roy Chowdhury used an incendiary device in violation of federal law in connection with his efforts to terrorize and intimidate a private organization, said Assistant uh, U.S. Attorney Matthew Olson of the Justice Department. So there you go. 
if you're going to go blowing places up, which I highly discourage, do not eat 75% of your burrito. Eat the whole thing. Silly. Unbelievable. <clears throat> I'm glad he didn't eat it. And I'm glad he got caught. Anyway, that's just one story. Now I got another one. Listen to this one. A pizza receipt leads to the arrest of a 12-year-old accused of killing a neighbor in order to steal his guns. You know why he's stealing guns? Because of Biden's crazy gun control. Just kidding. Now, uh, a Milwaukee boy killed the 34-year-old neighbor he played video games with for his AR-15-styled rifle. I have a, a bone to pick here. You know, the Associated Press has has already come clean saying this, this talk about assault-style rifle. What is that? What does that even mean? I mean, this is just wrong. We should call things what they are. If it's an AR-15 rifle, it's an AR-15 rifle, right? Armalite Rifle 15, AR-15. We should stop saying these words that are just not accurate. It really isn't. I mean, uh, I like to think of flashlights, you know? You go to like, I don't know, the auto parts store. Let's say you're online and you when you get to the checkout counter, there's a bunch of stuff you could buy. You know, um, keychain stuff, last minute things you might have forgotten. And they always have flashlights there. Right. And there's, you know, like a yellow flashlight, an orange flashlight, little flashlights, big flashlights. And then there's always a flashlight that says like, you know, uh, police flashlight or, you know, Magnum police light or something like that. And they're usually black and they have like some rubber on it. And they're, it's a tactical styled flashlight. But I don't think we should call it an assault flashlight. Right. I mean, th this is the silliest thing I've ever heard. And we keep doing it and people keep doing it in the media. And it's, it's on every side of the aisle, every media. It doesn't matter what channel you watch. Everybody is, is led to think that if a gun is black and it has a handle on top and a, and a rubber grip, that somehow that this is an assault-styled um, weapon. I mean, it just blows me away. It really blows me away how, how unwilling people are to just put in a little bit of critical thinking. Anyway... <clears throat> I'm burying the lead here. 12-year-old killed his 34-year-old neighbor, according to the story here, to steal his guns. Um, this Domino's pizza receipt led to the arrest of the 12-year-old boy. Where? Wisconsin, who's accused of killing his adult neighbor. And uh, the name of the minor who's charged was redacted because he's a minor. The complaint said uh, the minor allegedly killed Brandon Felton, 34 years old, on March 15th at Mr. Felton's home. The boy uh, was neighbors with Felton, and the two played video games together. Now, this, I think, is in and of itself troubling. <clears throat> if I had a 12-year-old son, which I've never had a son, but I wouldn't let him hang out with somebody that's 34, what is up with that? That is so odd. Like, oh, I want to play video games with your 12-year-old kid? That's, that's weird. Authorities found Felton dead in a puddle of blood on March 18th. Uh, the autopsy says single gunshot wound to the head. Single shot. This kid got him. Wow. Felton's cousin discovered his body after he went to Felton's home because he had not heard from him for several days. A pizza receipt for a delivery order was found near a spent shell casing. Police located the receipt in the living room on an end table. The same end table where they found the other item. And there was an order placed by Brandy. The detective, um, according to the complaint, called the phone number on the receipt, said it was a young-sounding male and that ordered it. The boy's mother took him to speak with the police on March 18th. The boy said he heard about Felton's death from his grandmother. 
The boy said that the phone was his and that no one had used it or borrowed it. The, uh, according to the boy's account, um, he changed the facts several times. And then uh, here's a quote. It says the defendant then continuously stated that he did not order food that night, has never ordered food from Felton's house. He claimed he had no idea about the pizza and that Felton never used his phone to order food. The defendant was then shown the receipt that was recovered from Mr. Felton and the defendant replied he didn't know that what was going on, didn't know that Felton was killed. Uh, the kid's a liar, too, on top of that. Uh, unbelievable. And uh, earlier he admitted that his grandmother had told him about the death, and then he said he had no idea. So the kid is going up, you know, the proverbial creek without a paddle. And uh, looks like he killed this guy, according to what they're saying, for, for a gun. In those messages, the defendant states that he had played with him on several things, blah, 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 saying slang term. He wanted an AR-15. Unreal. So that's the new thing. The uh, If we ban all AR-15s, things like this will never happen. No, I think he'll go kill somebody else with a different gun that he wants. And that's the point. You can't just stop this stuff by saying, you know, we're not going to do that. Anyway, your calls and more straight ahead. We're going to get to that right now. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And I want your reactions on this. Uh, do you have any food stories that led to the arrest of anything? Because here we have a, a burrito that led to a bomber and a a pizza receipt that leads to this uh this poor little kid that eventually, uh, well, a poor little kid, I say, because that's it. His life is over. I can't imagine him uh, getting out of jail anytime soon so that he can have a productive life. And again, rightfully so. Who needs a 12-year-old that will shoot you in the head and not miss uh, in order to steal your gun? <clears throat> so we're going to get to that as well as any other topics you guys might have. Uh, 833-4-VALDEZ. I see we have calls from all over the Midwest today. Let's see. We got Michigan in the house. Montana's in the house. Big shout out to all of those affiliates, K-O-F-I, K-D-K-A as well. And um, the number, 833-4-VALDEZ, if you want to chime in, or on social media, at Rich Valdez with an S. Plus, remember, Rich Valdez, America at Night. Rich Valdez, America at Night.com is the website. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, we're, we're making sure that you don't miss anything. So anyway... That's that. I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. your calls right now, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Let's go to Kim in Michigan, KDKA. What's up, Kim? Hi, Rich. You want people to comment about the Wayne State professor. Um, I, I read about that today, and I think he must be deranged or something. <laughs> yeah, but, um, clearly. 
I know. And the other two quick things I wanted to call in about is Kevin McCarthy gave the 41,000 hours of January 6th video over to Tucker Carlson. Tucker released the first batch and, and a lot of truth came out, you know, uh, but then they stopped. And my question is, why did they stop after the first batch? Um, and, and then I, um, let's see. Oh, and then I wanted to ask you about, you talked about Rand Paul's aide getting, uh, attacked yeah. in Washington, D.C., I read that it was unbelievable. And that guy had just got out of prison. He'd been in prison for 12 years for pimping out to women. And he got out. He stabbed Rand Paul's aide in the head, in the stomach. The guy's undergone abdominal surgery. They think he might have epilepsy, his father said. Uh, and that was in Washington, D.C. They were coming out of a restaurant near the Capitol. It, it, this is just so bizarre. It, you know how they caught him? Hmm. Was it a burrito? He left his you know, he left his cell phone there. He's such a <laughs> moron, the, the uh, convict that was just out of prison. He left his cell phone at the bloody scene. Is that weird? No, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, uh, you don't go to jail specifically for being smart, right? Um, these are bad choices by bad actors, and, and they don't deserve to be a part of society, and that, that sucks. Now, with respect to the other thing you were talking about, <clears throat> the um, footage, uh, McCarthy has uh, said he's going to release all, all the footage to all the news agencies. Uh, I think they're just, you know, it's a timed release type of thing, and um, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll have to take a look at that as it comes out. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, I, I could tell you from my perspective, right? There's being that I, I, I have a three hour show to do every day, five days a week. Uh, I, I just can't make anyone issue my issue every single day, right? You have to kind of go with the flow of the news of the day and keep people up to speed on what's going on. And, and I feel like, you know, if there's a January 6th hearing that happens in Washington or, or some, you know, tangentially related news, then, you know, it's back in the forefront. You know, if McCarthy says, hey, I'm giving out these videos and they're going to so-and-so exclusively for now, uh, great. Then, you know, there's another story on that. But uh, unless there's something happening during the daytime where we could say, oh, look, this just happened. You know, let's talk about it at night. Uh, it, it falls by the wayside. And I don't think that's just me. I think that's a lot of people in the commentary business. And while we might always have questions, it's just not going to be top of mind for everybody all the time. So I think once the next uh, batch of videos comes out there, we might learn more and see more. Um, last night or the night before, we had a woman that was uh, uh, doing a January 6th documentary and um, she gave us her account. And um, I do. I try my best to, to keep that stuff at the forefront because I think that this is one of the biggest shams we've ever seen uh, perpetrated on, on the American public. And and she brought up a lot of really interesting points, not the least of which was that it based, she's a producer. And as a filmmaker, she said that she'd noticed some of the footage didn't seem to coincide on the day of the event because she was there as it was happening. And it was just interesting. And her, her assessment was it seemed to her like some of the video that we were seeing on the news was taped earlier than than uh, it was purported to have been happening which they, I think they said it was happening live. So that's interesting. 
And uh, yeah, I think it's it's uh, one of those things where we'll just have to wait and seek him. Thanks, Rich. You bet. Okay, let's see. What do we got here? We got our buddy Frank in Evergreen, Montana. Oh, this is a very, very interesting topic. Frank, go right ahead. KOFI. Yeah, Rich, I was looking at a website. It's a search engine called Google Scholar. It doesn't yeah. have all the the ads and all the social drifting. Yeah, well, and it also, you get to look through like peer-reviewed journals as well. Exactly. And there was an interesting article on honeybee morbidity rates in the United States. It's increasing with this this strange weather pattern we're having. And uh, But on top of this, it's also we've got an invasion, of course, Asian and African bees and probably even some South American bees. And it uh, um, causes a kind of a turf war amongst the, the honeybees themselves. So it's, uh, um, and then on top of that, it's even a higher morbidity rate around tobacco fields. Uh, I suppose hmm. it's because of the chemicals they add and, uh, you know, but it's uh, pretty, pretty high there in Virginia. So it's, Interesting. Think about. Interesting. Yeah, I, I remember a while back, <clears throat> you'd posed a um, uh, a question with respect to the decrease in honeybees in Puerto Rico as a result of Hurricane Maria, and uh, and that was accurate. There, there was a decrease in, in honeybees, and ultimately, um, you know, this this leads to a lot of different things, right? You, you don't have honey and other institutions or industries, I should say, that rely on honey. And it becomes a thing. I mean, I, I'm no expert on honeybees, but it is interesting how you think something that might be mundane or or less than interesting. And uh, all of a sudden, wow, it actually is a, is a thing. Um, but again, truth be told, I don't know much about it, but I do like good honey, Frank. Now, let me ask you this. Um, are you the least bit surprised about these criminals that are being caught by a burrito, a half-eaten burrito, or a receipt for a slice of pizza or leaving their cell phone behind? I'm not surprised, but, you know, on the subject of flashlights, though, uh, some of these strobe lights are, you know, really high lumens, and then I put them, put them up on a, in the face of a meth addict, and they're, they're paralyzed. You know, it just it's a it's a good tool. And some of them come with a feature, like if you press the button twice instead of just turning it on, it'll it'll strobe light, and uh, you know, uh, kind of stuns them to get away from you. So I guess they were made for the meth addicts, perhaps. Frank, thank you, sir. I appreciate your your scholarship and your wisdom. Like always, you're a gentleman. Big shout out to everybody listening in on KOFI in the Kalispell area of Montana. Anyway, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. We continue our discussions with our uh, loyal listeners across America. Feel free to chime in if you're interested in joining the conversation. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Seven eight three three. 
for Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And Phyllis L. Anderson, she's a listener uh, that chimed in online on Facebook, and she says, love your show. Bees pollinate flowers to help the food in the fields to grow. That's exactly what I was trying to say, and I was not very eloquent in trying to say it. (laughs) But yes, that's exactly it. And that's why I always appreciate um, Frank's uh, commentary on the honeybees. Now, I want to move on from bees to chickens, in particular, eggs, right? Because this egg company saw profits of 718% big profit surge as prices have been soaring. Now, the largest egg producer in the United States, CalMaine Foods, reported more than doubled revenue and a 718% spike in their profits last quarter as eggs prices started to uh, go up. Now, Reuters reported that the company controls 20% of the U.S. egg market, according to, wait for this, CNN. And uh, Cal Maine's average price for a dozen eggs in the first quarter of 2022 was $1.61. A year later, the price jumped to $3.30 in uh, the quarter ending on February 25th. The company also sold 1% more eggs than it did a year ago. Look at that. So while there was a run on eggs, they were actually able to capitalize on that. And and again, I, I think that makes sense. It's kind of like, you know, when it starts raining, you're walking around, let's just say Manhattan, New York City. You're walking around. You're like, I'll walk to the next appointment or whatever it is. And then, you know, it's a decent enough day. And then all of a sudden it starts raining. And you go, oh, you know what? Let me take a cab. Or you can't find a cab. Or you say, let me get an Uber. And then all of a sudden there's surge pricing because there's a storm or whatever. Um, that's how the market kind of works. And, of course, you don't want to promote price gouging, of course. But there's typically um, when there's when there's less supply and there's increased demand, typically prices will go up. And that's just how a free market works. Uh, now, does it work to the tune of 718%? I mean, I guess it does. I don't know all the facts behind that. Uh, but... I do find it interesting, to say the least. And I, I could imagine how people who, who normally don't buy eggs might say, you know, I don't normally buy eggs, but I might start buying them because apparently they're scarce. Just like when people were saying, there's no more toilet paper or there's no more um, paper towels. Everybody just, you know, started flocking to the stores to buy those those items. Anyway, this company sold uh, 1% more eggs than it did last year, and it more than doubled to $997.5 million in revenue. Ain't that something? Let's see here. The company reported making $39.5 million in profit a year ago. That number jumped to $323 million in this last quarter that ended in February. And they noted a 718% jump in profits. And that's according to CNN. Um, I'm reading the article from the Washington Examiner, but they're citing CNN. Politicians have used egg producers, uh, excuse me, have accused egg producers of taking advantage when considering egg prices. Now, of course, they turned around and said it was avian flu. And before that, they said, oh, it was COVID. We lost our workers. We lost this. We lost that. I mean, everybody's got a story. Everybody's crying poverty and everybody's trying to make money. I get it. And I don't like it. Nobody likes the, the increased cost of eggs. That's why I stopped buying eggs. I, it's it's almost cheaper for me to just eat out than to, to actually buy eggs and cook myself. I don't know why, but it is. Uh, so anyway, 
that is the story on that. Now, there's another story here that I want to share with you. Uh, where did it go? Quickly, quickly. Let's see here. No, no. High school. This is it. This is an interesting one. Feel good story to, to leave us on a, a high note here. <clears throat> Listen to this. Eric Kilburn, high school freshman, gets a size 23 shoe to help him play football. Now you're thinking, all right, so what's the big deal? The kid has big feet. Yes, he does. But he's six foot 10. He's a high school freshman. And he's got a size 23 foot. And he just met with Under Armour, the company that makes, um, you know, uh, athletic equipment and and uh, attire for a customized pair of shoes on Sunday. Eric Kilburn Jr., a 14-year-old football player from Goodrich High School in Michigan, he went viral after he and his family told the Flint Journal earlier this month that they've exhausted uh, multiple avenues trying to find him shoes that actually fit. Kilburn, who also goes by the name Big E, currently plays defensive tackle without cleats. The teenager also wears a special football helmet because it's the only company that manufactures his size, the Shoot F7 helmet. His father, Eric Sr., also believes his son's shoulder pads looked a bit small this season. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, the kid's a giant if you look at the picture. He's just towering over everybody. And, uh, and uh, that's cool that Under Armour stepped up to help him out. I think that's fantastic. Anyway, we're going to continue our discussion straight ahead. I've got some audio for you, plus your calls and more coming right up. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. There were 4,500 who died, the 31,000 who were wounded, the hundreds of thousands of Iraqi civilians. What we have to contemplate is the reality that we rushed into a war. This body rushed into a war. That is uh, Virginia Senator Tim Kaine, a Democrat, talking about the war powers that were related to the um, authorization for the use of military force for the Iraq war, going back to 1991. Uh, He wasn't done there, though. He had this to say as well. The Senate voted to go to war, a war that has had massive consequences, with a total of three days of analysis. So earlier today, Wednesday, uh, the Senate voted to repeal a pair of authorizations for use of military force, or AUMF, uh, with bipartisan support, taking a step towards closing the door on the Iraq war 20 years after it started. Senators voted 66 to 30 to officially repeal the 1991 authorization for the Gulf War and the 2002 uh, authorization for use of military force, or AUMF, that opened the door to the Iraq war following uh, that march. So listen to this. The Senate passage 
uh, means that all eyes are going to be on the House, obviously, where a bill to repeal these two AUMFs has been introduced but has yet to advance out of any committee. Speaker Kevin McCarthy and other Republicans have signaled support for the legislation or at least uh, interest in a debate on the issue. The process in the Senate was a lengthy one. The chamber had spent uh, the past week voting on a series of related and unrelated amendments. So Senator Tim Kaine and Senator Todd Young from Indiana, uh, they co-sponsored the bill and have emerged as major champions uh, of repealing this in Congress. Now arguing that Iraq is now a strategic ally of the United States in the Middle East and that repealing this authorization for the use of military force sends a signal of support to the nation. Yeah, listen, I agree. And listen, why not put the uh, the kibosh on on an authorization for use of military force when, I mean, we don't think we're going back there. And if we are, well, just do it again. Go to Congress one more time. Anyway, in remarks um, ahead of the final vote, Senator Kane uh, told Congress that, you know, what I just told you, that they rushed into this. And, of course, you know, he had his moment of grandstanding and playing politics. And that's that's fine. That's how that goes. But, uh, again, headline for me here is I had no idea these military authorizations were still out there, right, these AUMFs. And would it be weird if I called them umps? A-U-M-F, umph, umph, umph. Anyway, um, I'm not going to call them that. But, uh, yeah, I think, and there's a lot of these things that are uh, kind of floating out there where we're not using them anymore, but they're still open. And I wonder, does that create new ways of spending money, new new revenue sources? Can we say this is for the ongoing Iraq war and for this, that, and the other one? We're not really at war with Iraq anymore. I would suppose that it, it probably does pose that type of situation. Anyway, <clears throat> tomorrow we're going to talk about some AI. I want to get into that. Uh, but before I go, there's, there's a couple of morbid stories that I'm trying to stay away from because, you know, it's, it's the third and final hour of the program. And I try my best to not get too heavy on uh, in, in this hour because, you know, there's so many crazy news stories throughout the day. So I don't want to I don't want to bombard you with with stuff like that. But I will share a quick story with you <clears throat> because uh, earlier today I went to a auto detailing place and I was thinking of getting my SUV um, you know, waxed and with that ceramic coating and all that stuff. And, um, and in my head, I was thinking, you know, the last time I'd gone, the guy was like, yeah, it's $180. Uh, we do the outside, you know, compound wax, polish it all up. And then we also clean the inside and uh, whatever. And I said, all right, cool. But I figured with inflation, that's probably close to have doubled by now. So, you know, I was prepared to, for the sticker shock. Anyway, I asked the guy, and he says, oh, let me take a look at the car. He comes outside, and again, the car's, you know, several years old, but he starts feeling the paint, and he goes, oh, yeah, given the damage on the paint, I'm thinking, the damage, the car's, I don't know, 10 years old, something like that, um, but it has no damage. He says, $700 to detail my car. I've never heard of such a thing. I'm crying by inflation on that one. Anyway, hasta la próxima. Until the next time, America, I am Rich Valdez. I want you to take care. God bless and have a good night. We're doing it all again tomorrow. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.